Welcome to the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation Podcast. In this episode, we answer our students' questions and share information about yoga therapy and meditation with the intention of creating a new paradigm in wellness. Today's episode is a recording taken directly from a live Q&A session with Breathing Deeply founder Brant Pasalakwa and students of our meditation program. Our first question is, am I evolving in my practice even if I am not having experiences during meditation? As a general thing, um, I mean, Lori's questions is really interesting, right? Because it kind of gets to the heart of the matter where we're wondering, is this about expansion and something we're trying to get somewhere? Are we trying to experience something in particular? And, you know, like Patanjali and the Yoga Sutras, for instance, would say, absolutely. Like, that's why, that's, that's what we're doing. We're trying to get enlightened. And here's what you need to do to do that. And that requires you having certain experiences. A lot of other teachers would say that too. Um, and then, you know, there's a sort of the end of practice is well, if we stick with Patanjali for a minute, the end of practice is when the experiences, for instance, no longer serve any purpose because we are merged with nature in such a way where it doesn't really matter either way. So what, what yoga would say is until that happens, there's lots to be done. Just funny because it's sort of like this, like, well, if there's so much to be done, why do you keep telling me not to do anything? I'm just sit here, you know? Um, I think it's really complicated to know the answer to that question um, because you have to ask yourself, are, am I completely content with the way things are? And that's not the same as wondering, would I like things to be different? Those are different questions. They're similar, but they're super different. Because as humans, we always want things to be different. Like it's just like, <laughs> there's always gonna be things we want to be different or wish we were different if you just think about it. But in your heart, are you okay? Like. And in order to understand that answer for yourself, you have to honestly be able to imagine not being here tomorrow. And in order to do that, you have to get past your fear of death. And that's what I've learned, that you have to actually be able to contemplate it from a place of 
am I can am I actually content? Which would mean if I die tomorrow, it is that okay that I don't exist? You know, in that way. And what what yoga would say because of its roots in Hinduism, you know, historically is like you're not going to be okay with that until you're okay with not coming back, right? Because there's this idea that you're always going to be coming back, but when you're enlightened, you don't come back, right? You're done. <laughs> so, you know, that's what it's sort of saying. It's like, are you are you so content? Um, and if, if the answer is like, I don't know, not really, like I'm not okay with all that, then, you know, what yoga would say is, is we have to sit with that, you know? So another answer I could give Lori, who's not here is totally cool not to go after experiences in your meditations, but also really important to temper that with this sort of very profound contemplation of what does it mean for me to be completely okay with not being here and with the way things are. So I guess I'll rephrase my answer. I have no idea what Lori should do. But we shouldn't worry like we're missing. So if you're worrying about not doing enough, you've kind of missed the point of meditation, right? If you're worried about it, really what you're worried about is that worry is your non-contentment, right? <laughs> and if you're in a phase, even if it's a phase where you're sitting and you actually are completely copacetic with what's happening, then you've gotten pretty far. And that distinction is really important. And, and so there's multiple ways to look at it, but one is, can I even ask myself that? And the way to ask to go about that is, am I aware that I'm not gonna be here? Like not in an intellectual way, like in a, when I'm deep in meditation and if I just never woke up, you know? <laughs> If you're meditating and you implant, like if I just never stopped, like what if you just stayed on that cushion forever? What if you never re-engaged? Would that be okay? And that's not the same as saying I want to die. You know, <laughs> it's fine to not want to die. So, you know, as we move forward in our practice, there's a lot of like mini contemplations within that that are super important. Okay, leaving the people around me. Do I understand that it is not me who dictates the their outcomes, right? Am I okay with surrendering to the fact that I'm not really that in control of anything? And at the same time, can I fully embrace my dharma, which is like whatever roles you're playing, which we talk about a lot when we're here, right? Because they go together. Do the effects of a meditation practice work when we aren't sitting or engaged in an active meditation technique? Yeah, I mean, the teachings say that it, it, it works upon you. Like nature, it's like that's the, that's the river you're in. It's, it's not something that we just completely build from scratch. Like this is what everything wants you to do if you just give it a chance, right? So yes, for sure. 
because it's not the meditation that's cool. It's the it's the states that are like you know generated and the awareness that's generated. And when I say sit with it, I don't necessarily mean meditate with it. I just mean let that be in your consciousness. It is so hard to relax enough to you know hop in your car and be like, this might be my last car ride going to the grocery store, right? Like to let your mind to let your mind like actually wander there and back without getting in its way. Like we spend so much time in meditation trying to get cool with the way things are. And then of course, the first thing we do is like, I have to completely shut that down because I do not want to believe that this is my last car ride. I don't know if I can go through those like 700 emotional states while going to get an avocado, you know, like I've got stuff to do. But that's kind of what the teachings are saying, right? They're like, look, have your experience, you know, there's other ways to talk about it. You know, we could just talk about presence. We could just talk about forgiveness. Um, you know, and forgiving yourself and every single other person around you. Like, can you sit with that? Like what would it be like to have like no issues with anybody because you've completely forgiven them. It's a, like another kind of road that we can use. Cause it's not just like, I gotta be okay with my own death. Oh no, I'm not okay with my own death. Like. It's, it doesn't have to be like that direct. Um, it can be like, could I just, could I be okay with all the wrong things I've done and with everything, everyone in the world that I have witnessed has done? Like, what would it be like if I was okay with that? You know, what if I just let all that go? Where would that leave me? And the answer is it would leave you probably pretty ready to die. How can we discern the limit of our role as a teacher or educator with the people and relationships in our life? You know, the paradigm is you have your path so you can see certain things and have certain awarenesses and they are exactly where they are and that is what's happening. So that's the present-centered awareness part. And so the fact that you might see that they're mistaken, then it comes back to Dharma, which is, is it your role slash mission slash like, what is it in your personal like roles on this planet that's gonna guide you in terms of like, is it your role to educate this person or are they just annoying you because they're wrong? Which means you're in the wrong paradigm. You know what I mean? If you're their teacher, you're their teacher in that way, but you have to decide. It's not always easy, but or obvious, I should say. But, you know, the more you clarify your dharma, which is like, what is my role here? Is my role my personal evolution? What is my relationship with this person? And how does that click into my roles? You know, there's a huge freedom in it. Let me, let me give you an example. This might help, right? Like, if you decide that educating this person is not part of your personal mission, it doesn't match with why you're on this planet. Because if you think you're on this planet to educate all people about everything, you're a little confused and you have to go and rethink yeah. your dharma. You know what I mean? So that can't be true. Because so you play whatever roles you play. And so if you're this person's friend, because you're the person they talk to and you listen to them and you're friends and it provides companionship and, and love, that's great, you know? 
but it does let's say it might not necessarily include you re-educating them every time you see something they don't. So for me, that helps, right? And then you also have other people in your life that play roles. So like I'm married, right? So like my wife plays a role where I get to talk to her and I get to come home and I get to say, you know, I talked to Bob and he was ranting, raving about this thing. And I didn't say anything because it's not my Dharma. It doesn't matter. You have to decide what, what the point is like, and there's, there's just regular old things there, but I mean, in the bigger picture, which is I think what you're asking me, cause I don't know the details, but in the bigger picture, it's like, is this, what is my role here? Am I a listener? Am I here just to hold this person's hand and listen? Or am I here, is there some other, like if your role with this person is their friend, like what's, what do friends do? Like, what is the, what is the point of that in your relationship? You know, what, what, what's the, what's the, what's the, the overarching heart-centered, present-centered thing that you're going to do with this person that matches your relationship, you know, in this time you have together. I mean, I can think of like the silliest example. I don't know if it helps. Like last night I played some music with some people. I haven't done that in a long time. And I was with a few people, didn't know some of them well, knew some of them sort of, and you know, there was this person that was like saying all this stuff that could have been corrected, <laughs> you know? And I was like, that's not in, in, because I think I've like centered myself in thinking this way. I definitely, I just want to share this with you because it might help what you're talking about. It didn't bother me. You know, it's like, I didn't really even it didn't even ruin what was going on, if that made sense for me, because I wasn't distracted by it because I knew exactly what my role was. And I was very content in my role. How can we embody forgiveness and do the work to forgive people? Forgiveness means that, that forgiveness is being Well, you know, it's hard to put that in a few words, but it's being settled, you know, a little bit. There's a contentment to it. And there's a, you know, a lot of times, like if we have like big problems with like a family member, it's like the thing you realize towards the end is that I've had this experience because I almost died. You know, that person was on this ride with you and you wouldn't give that up for anything, even though they're horrible. And it's a very difficult thing to wrap your cognitive mind around. But that person is like, it's almost like evidence that you've lived, even the person that caused you harm or trauma, you know? And, you know, you've learned from it and you've experienced things from it and you're you because of it and having all that integrate, you know, into your system. I mean, the reason we do all, you know, one of the reasons we do these like pranic practices and body, like even sitting, you know, we do these practices that involve other parts of us is to try to integrate into the, into those parts. So, I mean, that's where all that forgiveness comes from. It's not from some, some practices that are more cognitive, they can be really enlightening 
for short periods of time, but they don't they don't land you in the real open-hearted forgiveness place. That comes from a different part of you. Right. You can work with it a bit just to start getting there, right? I'm sure you've had this experience if you've done those practices, because I have too, you know, but that's that's just the beginning. That's just to allow you to even embody, <laughs> you know, forgiveness and death. It's a gateway into different parts of your system. It's not cognitive. That's the thing to remember. It is not cognitive. All the big work isn't cognitive, right? That's just that's just the way it is. Well, if you can be in your shashumna, which is the you know like the center of your body, and and energetically be aware like that, you're gonna have a really hard time cognitively processing, which gives you a lot of time to integrate all that forgiveness into your system. It's like creating a new a new pathway to do that. The way the yogis talk about it is or the Hatha yogis is that you're sort of burning out impurities and kind of cleaning it up. But I mean another way to kind of interpret that is you know your you're refocusing the, the mind, you know in a way that's gonna allow it to do all sorts of things. And that's kind of like, that process is the link to the heart. It's part of it anyway, it's not the whole thing, but it's it's part of it. So that, that's the language we use. It's like you link the heart and the mind so they're like working on the same agenda, you know? <laughs> and you need those connections to do that. The mind needs connections to like get on board, you know? You wanted to break it down. So yeah, the pranic practices can help a lot with that. Everyone teaches level one stuff on some level, every tradition. Everyone teaches surrender practices. The pranic practices link them and that is my gift to you. Because that's been my experience. So I've learned from people that it's all those kind of tranquility practices. I've learned people it's all surrender. I've learned so much from them, but it wasn't until I understood the link that things really changed. Real, I mean, deeper, like, you know. And the other way to look at that is that those pranic practices keep you in the game in a different way. And I know you know what I'm talking about because I understand how you practice that. So I know you know that. It's like you can kind of get knocked off your game because it's too cognitive. So you can go through long periods of time. Like you said in a lot of those Buddhist styles, right? Where, and is that really interesting guy? Um, yeah, as I get older, the memory gets worse with names, but um, he kind of had this offshoot from the insight people and he started teaching like super advanced. Buddhist practices that only like advanced monks learn to regular people. And everyone was really mad at him. I mean, it was like a huge scandal in all these Buddhist worlds that he did this. And you know what those practices are? I mean, this is hilarious if you've studied like yoga 
especially with me or whatever, those practices are breathing into the ground through your body. And all the Buddhists are like, oh, no, that's level five. You can't teach oh, that. And oh he literally gosh. was like, this is insane. He did all, he did the whole thing. He's like really advanced meditator. He's like, why aren't we teaching these first? <laughs> that's interesting. <'cause... laughs> Which I've always appreciated. He's like a heretic in this one. And I was wow. like, oh, this guy, he totally gets it. I get it. That's neat. You know, what's his name? So he's in Colorado, he's still alive. Well, it'll come to me, but. <laughs> but anyway i don't know like tons i mean i never studied with them but that's like that's the long and short of it he started teaching these like body and then pranic body-based practices which they'd always reserved because they were considered to be too powerful mm -hmm. again this is a recurring theme i've seen it's like well you should give those to people if they're so good and yeah and once you once you really get entrained to them it's like when you go to like those level three practices like the light of the heart and like all those kinds of practices you feel them It becomes a felt experience. It's not conceptual. It allows you to do that really quickly, like within a year, just not long in meditation. Thanks for listening to the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, leaving a positive review, and sharing it with friends. For more information about our yoga therapy and meditation trainings and programs, visit breathingdeeply.com.